We've been studying marriage for the last little while because it's in our text in Colossians 3. We'll be in verse 18 of Colossians 3 in just a moment. Paul often gives in his expression of what does it look to be saved? What does it look like to be a Christian in this world? He often goes to what we might refer to as household rules or household codes or uh, family life. And as he describes it here in Colossians 3, he also describes it in Ephesians 5, uh, beginning at verse 22 to the end of the chapter. He also describes it in relation to the qualifications of elders in places like 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. He speaks of it in relation to the working out of salvation in the, in the lives of older men, older women, younger women, and younger men in Titus 2. And so it's, it's important then to see how does Christ make a difference in our families, in our, in our marriage uh, relationships, husband and wife, but also parent-child. And farther along, part of the household in the first century was the master and slave uh, relationship. And he talks about it here in, in Colossians 3 and into, into chapter 4. And so we'll get to masters and slaves in a moment, or not today, of course, but in, in a, just a little bit. He speaks, though, that the relationship of a husband and wife is contrary, so much contrary, to especially what was practiced in that first century world, where the Roman law allowed all kind of aberrations and uh, the, the the patriarch, uh, you know, the paterfamilias, the, the father of the family uh, rule was often heavy-handed and often dismissive of the wife, and the wife was often regarded as less than whatever, even less than children. As long as the wife gives me legitimate children, then that's I've turned my focus to the children and not so much to the wife. And Paul, in speaking of these things, he is raising the estimation and the regard that the first century believers ought to have toward marriage and uh, parenting and showing how this is fulfilling God's design. This is showing how God is active and over even the requirements and the expectations and responsibilities of husbands and wives. He starts speaking here to the wives. In fact, I'll just read here in Colossians 3 and verse 18, and just a few verses, just those verses that talk about husband, wife, and, and children and parents. Verse 18 says, Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be embittered against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, so that they will not lose heart. He speaks to wives specifically here, as he does also in Ephesians 5. He speaks to the wives first and then more so to the husbands. And we will look at, at husbands' responsibility here in just a moment. These different roles do not indicate different value or worth that God puts on different people. These are different uh, roles or functions that we, we play in the household, and then, of course, in the larger society, this is by no means a reproach upon, oh, the woman woman is, is to me submitted because of this, that, and the other thing, and, and because they're less than somehow the man. It's not what he's saying here at all. He is giving the proper order, the proper directions regarding the, the uh, proper ordering, if you don't mind the redundancy, of the, a Christian home or a Christian family. What is this to look like? This shows us that we need to be different to the world. 
it is helpful, especially in the context of this letter to the Colossians, because the Colossian heretics, the false teachers in Colossae, were saying it doesn't matter what you do in this world. In fact, you ought to uh, abandon the, the pleasures of this world. And he talked about food and, of course, marriage, maybe not so much in Colossae, but in, in uh, Ephesus, First Timothy 4, talked about those who forbid marriage. Marriage is not good. And it would, it would be right in line with the, the pre, this is before all the big Gnostic heresies got into play in the second century, but as it was leading into that time, matter is evil, spirit is good. And so if you're doing anything that, that with matter, anything with your body, you need to subdue that. You need to uh, uh, quell, quench that or, or quell that or whatever that proper term is. Get that out of your life. You need to pursue what is spiritual and pursue it according to our special uh, hidden knowledge that we can give to you for a fee, of course, uh, to the false teachers. And Paul says, no, that your marriage, your food, you should enjoy these things. You should live in this world for God's glory, of course. Your marriage pictures Christ. He makes that more of a statement in Ephesians 5, of course. This is a rather brief treatment of it. We'll look at Ephesians 5 as, as we go along here, just a little bit. But the, this is an implication of the gospel upon family life and upon our day-to-day -day practice. Again, the, the relationship of husband and wife, parent, child is the most intimate of human relationships. As we experience the, the I mean, we grow up in a family, we are born into a family, we're born in born to uh, mothers and fathers. We are born often with siblings, and the relations that we, the relationships that we have in that home provide the basis for what we can experience in society. As the saying goes, as the home goes, so, does, so the society or the culture goes. And so Paul says, this is what the gospel looks like in the home. He says here, wives, and then he talks about husbands. He is indicating classes of people. He doesn't say, wives, you need to have multiple husbands, and husbands, you can have multiple wives. He's not saying that. He's, he's saying in relation to classes of people or categories of people, these, uh, the words can in different contexts, just refer to men and women. But in the context of, of this, he, we understand he's speaking of marriage, not just, hey, you wives, or excuse me, you women in general, you sub be subject to the men in your life. He's not saying that, that somehow any woman needs to submit to any other man. He's not saying that. It's in the context of marriage, that covenantal companionship that we've been looking at the last few weeks. And so we're not, Paul is not saying women ought to submit to men in everything. He's saying, no, that woman, that wife, needs to submit to her husband. It says to your husbands, maybe uh, the word your is not there. It's a translation of the article, but it, it shows that there is a possession. Uh, the wife has a husband, the husband has a wife, and there, there are certain responsibilities that, are, that go along with that. Each of these commands, by the way, to, to the wives, to the husbands, to the children, to the parents, is, well, actually the parents had, the fathers has two commands, but here, the wives, be subject to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. I'm bitter against them. Don't be bitter against them. Two commands for the husbands as well. But there's only one command for the wife. Be subject to your husband. Be in submission to your husband. This word, of course, gets a bad rap. What do you mean? Me submit to him? How dare you suggest such a, a vile concept? I'm not going to do that. But submission is all throughout Scripture. We see submission even in the triune Godhead, how the, the Son has submitted himself to God the Father. We also see how God the Father has made subject or subjected all things to Christ. 
And in that future day, Christ will take all those things, all principalities and powers in the world, the universe, everything, and submit it back to God the Father, First Corinthians 15 says, so that God may be all in all. There's submission even in the Godhead in this regard. It's not to say that somehow Jesus is lesser than God the Father. He is truly God and truly man. He is truly the Son of God. He is truly the second person of the second person of the triune Godhead, are we to say that somehow the Holy Spirit then is lesser than God the Father, God the Son? Each member of that triune Godhead has a specific role in salvation, but even larger. And to say that that submission is somehow evil or demeaning, well, it's not demeaning to Christ. In fact, he voluntarily, and that, that gets us into this idea, wives be subject to husbands voluntarily, willingly, volitionally, as Christ humbled himself. Philippians chapter 2 says he, did, he didn't regard equality with God something to be grasped or held onto or, or seized at any cost, but he emptied himself. He took the form of a bondservant. He became in the likeness of, he came in the likeness of men. He humbled himself to death, not just death of old age or a heart attack or, or whatever, but the death on a cross, uh, an ignominious, I mean, a, a condemned. He, he died as a criminal. He wasn't a criminal. So many different times in Luke's gospel, for example, we see a pronouncement, I find no guilt in this man. That's Pilate saying that. There's no reason why Jesus is being crucified according to Roman law or Jewish law, but only because the people hated him and God was fulfilling his promise to send a Messiah, to send a suffering servant to redeem his people. And so we see submission all over that. We see how Christ submitted himself for the sake of the church. Ephesians 5 and verse 21 says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Wait a minute, submitting to one another? And of course, that's in the context before you get into the wives and the husbands and so forth. That's in the context of just Christians. Christians, you believers in Christ, you submit to one another. The reason why Paul mentions the the kenosis, the emptying of Jesus there in Philippians 2, is because earlier in that passage, he talks about the relationship that we ought to have with one another. Philippians 2, uh, I'll just look at verses 3 and 4. He says, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory, but with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's the submission attitude. That's the mindset, the uh, thinking less of myself and more of other people, thinking of their needs. How can I minister to other people? And it, it, you know, in an ideal situation, it's almost like we are tripping over each other, trying to serve and, and esteem other people as more important than ourselves. And, and we labor to, as John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Who am I? I am a, a servant of the Most High God. And that should be our perspective as well. Just as Christians, we're not even talking about husband and wife relationship yet. Just as believers, we ought to be submitting to another. It's not an evil thing. It's not a derogatory thing. It's not a demeaning thing. This is our task and our glory to follow after the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see, for example, one of those times, again, when, when Jesus, again, was not surprised, but he was impressed. He was he took notice of this. Remember back in Matthew chapter 8, a lot of different things are happening after the Sermon on the Mount. One of those is that a centurion comes and he asks Jesus to come and heal his servant or his son, different ways to understand that word. And uh, remember how the centurion, Jesus said, hey, I'll come with you. And, and, and the centurion said, no, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come, but just speak the word and it'll be done. Why does he say that? Because I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. Here's a man who is in a chain of command. I have 
people over me. I submit to them, and I have people that submit to me in terms of a, a leadership or a rulership kind of a thing. We see submission in the triune Godhead. We see it in society in general, in military matters. We see it even in the beautiful picture of Mary, the mother of Jesus. I mean, this is such a beautiful attitude, because, and it really gets to the heart of it. What does it mean for a wife to submit? In a sense, understand Mary was engaged and betrothed to Joseph. Joseph was going to be her husband. But in a sense, we are slaves. We are submitted to God the Father. He is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially in that context of Luke chapter 1. As the angel speaks to Mary and tells her you're going to bear a child and so forth, she says in verse 38, Behold, the slave of the Lord, or I am the slave of the Lord, May it be done to me according to your word. That is a submission. That is a submitted attitude, a mindset of humility. She was not thinking perhaps, well, this is going to damage my relationship. What is Joseph going to say about this? What are my parents going to say about this? It was a word that she received from the Lord and said, I am your servant. I am your slave. May it be done to me according to your word. I'm not suggesting, by the way, that somehow wives are slaves to their husband. No, very much not. In fact, what a wife is a slave to is Christ, just as the husband is a slave to Christ, just as each one who is in Christ is a slave to Christ. Remember back in chapter 2 of Colossians, don't be taken captive by these false uh, teachings of empty philosophies and vain deceptions and so forth, but by Christ. 2 Corinthians 11 also speaks about that. I betrothed you to one husband, but I'm afraid that you would be taken away by the by the uh, duplicity or the deceit of Satan. And we're not ignorant of his schemes. And I betrothed you to one husband so that you would be devoted to him and centrally devoted to him. We can see how our devotion or our enslavement to Christ gives meaning to what we do in our marriage relationships. There are other texts here as well. If you're taking notes, you can just jot down 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. And it speaks there about the wives or the women, and more generally the women uh, perspective, but also in the context of marriage. And he comments on this idea of uh, proper adornment, proper clothing. And he says, I want, I encourage women to adorn themselves by means of good works, verse 10 says, as is proper for women professing godliness. And he comments on this too, this, this uh, a woman must learn in quietness and all submission. I don't have time to, in, to explore it too much, but there are elements of submission that reflect or comment upon that quietude, that quietude of heart or soul, that waiting expectation, that hope, that entrusting myself to someone who is looking out for me. And again, in the context of marriage, just because a wife submits to her husband doesn't mean, oh, the husband has free reign to do it, to tell her to do whatever. Go get my slippers. Go fill this coffee cup or go do this for me. I, you know, I'm your husband. You're supposed to submit to me. We'll see that, no, the husband should never speak in that, in that way. It, this is more about the wife and her own inner demeanor, her mindset, how she approaches, how she thinks about her husband. There is this verse, uh, Psalm uh, 37 and verse 7 says, Be still in Yahweh and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who carries out schemes of wickedness. But the idea there is to be still and wait patiently for God. Be still. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but this uh, submission to a husband does not require him to be 
more wise, more skilled, more experienced, uh, smarter, stronger, which has nothing to do with him. A lot of times, and you know this if you're married, and if you don't, you'll learn it. Sometimes, a lot of times, the husband is clueless on any particular issue. He doesn't know. And, and thankfully, there are different roles that, that husbands and wives play. But even if, especially in the context of uh, a, a believing wife who has been a believer for a long time, and then a husband who is a believer but a new believer and doesn't know much, how can that wife submit to his care and his spiritual uh, uh, shepherding of her? He doesn't know as much as she does. I mean, she may even have seminary degrees and, you know, all this stuff about the Bible, and he doesn't know much, but she can submit to him. Hey, husband, honey, can we read the Scripture? You read the Scripture. I want to listen to you. Read the Scripture. Encouraging, submitting to her, to, excuse me, to his leadership. To be still, even though she's ready to, you know, give a four-point sermon on whatever this, this text is. Listen, be still, and wait upon your husband. Let him even feel the need. I remember one counselor speaking of it this way, that men often don't see the light until they feel the heat. The heat of, there's, there's, there's a need here, and I'm the one that has to rise up to this challenge and meet it. I've got to fulfill my responsibility as the husband, as the father in this home. There are many examples of submission, as I mentioned in Scripture. The only time that the, this verb is used as in an active sense, which is to say, I make things subject to me or make things subject to other people, is with God. God submits or makes uh, the creation. Uh, Romans 8 says he subjected the creation to futility. He has made the creation, uh, that context, Romans 8 talks about the groaning that the creation is going through because of sin, because of the curse, and there is a day when that curse will be removed. It's much celebrated in Scripture in from Psalm uh, 8 and even Psalm 2, speaking about how God the Father has made subject all things to Christ. He has brought all things under his feet. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 27 and 28 uh, speak about that. And of course, that's mentioned in Ephesians 1 as well, that God has made all things subject to Christ. A lot of times, though, actually, there's only one example where uh, Christ submits something else to God the Father, and that's in that context of 1 Corinthians 15. When everything is subjected to Christ, then he subjects everything back to God the Father so that God may be all in all. That's uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 28, is it? I can't see where it is in my notes here. But that is when Christ makes something submitted to something else. Most of the time we see this verse or this word used, it's in a, in a different kind of a voice. It has to do with something we do to ourselves, that we submit ourselves to other people. Uh, for example, um, the contrary is Romans 8, verse 7 says, the mindset in the flesh does not submit itself to the law of God. So there's a contrary verse, the opposite thing. It does not bow down, honor, obey, fulfill the commands of the Lord. I mentioned obey. You're going to think, well, what is this obey business? We'll get to that in a moment. Thank you for being patient. Every person should submit to the governing authorities. This is Romans 13. This is also uh, in uh, Titus chapter 3, to submit, to obey even the, the governing authorities, for they exercise the sword for uh, the judgment of evil and the, the uh, uh, protection of what is right. We see how, again, we mentioned uh, Ephesians 5 and verse 21, we submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Slaves, we'll see it here in this text, also in others, that slaves are to submit to their masters. Uh, we see how um, there's other examples. First Peter 5 and verse 5, younger men submit to your elders. 
Uh, Christians in general submit to your leaders. There's a couple of different ways that's stated. First Corinthians 16. Uh, we submit to those who are the ones who care for the church, the, the, uh, the, the shepherds and, and so forth. That's mentioned in Hebrews 13 and verse 17 as well. Submit, uh, obey your leaders and, and uh, submit to their care and so forth. So there, there's submission all over the place is the point. It's not just the wives are being singled out. God's picking on them. Uh, submitting is, uh, has an aspect of obedience or listening to one another. Maybe you heard it this way, that the word here, submit or be subject to, is this word to uh, line up under. It's kind of like ordering something. Uh, used to, they say it's used a lot of times in military context, not so much in the Bible. It's used more in relation to just relations, human relationships or in a geopolitical kind of sense that certain nations are made subject to other nations. But mostly... It is used in relation to how we relate to one another in a in a uh, in a mindset thinking of other people as more important than ourselves, listening to them, waiting for them, being patient upon them. We can see the example of um, of obedience, for example, and we think, well, obedience, which that's all listening. Excuse me, that's all obedience is is a listening to put yourselves in a position of listening to other people, and then being influenced by that. Especially in the master-slave relationship, yes, the slaves need to fulfill, obey the desires of the master. And we'll see how that even pertains to uh, more general employment. Uh, the, the wishes of the boss need to be fulfilled by the, by the employees. The contrast of uh, not being subject to, not obeying, is to be rebellious. First Timothy 1 and verse 9 speaks about this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious. Rebellious here is the opposite of submission. Uh, you know, I, I know what you want me to do. I'm not going to do it. It's like those two sons that Jesus talked about. The father had two sons, told one son, go work in the field. He did not do it. Told the other son, go work in the field. He said, I'm going to do it. And he didn't do it. Which one did the will of the father? Well, the one who did the will of the Father, right, who, who acted upon it. But there are many who, who hear the word of God and don't do it. Uh, there should be a measure of trepidity, fear, and trembling when we read in Matthew 7, Jesus will have many will come to me. He says, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, we did all these wonderful things. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. You lawless people, you people who are so rebellious, and with how did we, we're trying to do your work. No, you did not draw near to me with your hearts. It's from the heart that the mouth speaks, that everything, all the desires come from heart. Make sure that your heart is complete toward me. Your heart is submitting to me, he says. We want to make sure that we, as Christians, are submitting to God the Father, Christ himself, but also each other. In the context of marriage, wives submitting to your husbands. It's interesting if you were to look at the context of Ephesians 5, that verse, and again, people take it different ways. That verse, verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, is the last of three implications of what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in the Lord, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Those three implications of what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. So does that verse then, because in verse 22, wives be subject to your husbands, that word be subject is not in verse 22. It's carried over from the previous verse. The question is, are those relationships 
guided and informed the relationship of wife and husband, uh, children, parents, and slaves and masters. Are those relationships governed by that phrase, be subject to one another in fear of Christ? I would say yes, because the idea of submitting to one another is throughout Scripture. We see it, we, the command to submit to one another. But even the way that a husband submits to his wife is not the same way that a wife submits to a husband, but the expectation, the responsibility is the same in the sense of husbands, you love your wives, and here in this context, don't be embittered against them, but in, in Ephesians 5, lay down your life for your wife. Far from the idea that the, the man is the master of the house, and I'm the one to be served, and you are all, you know, you wife and children, you serve me. It's all about me, what I want. No, the husband is motivated in submission, mind, to serve other people, to, to cherish his wife, as much as we get a little boo-boo, and, and or uh, it's always talked about the man cold, right? You get, oh, and the guy is just a, a basket case. But even in that context, you cherish your wife, you love her, you lay down your life for her in terms of children and parents. Children, obey your parents and Lord, for this is right. But fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You do not just have a bunch of children and then abandon them and don't train them. You don't, you need to lay down your life for your children, Slaves, you need to obey your, par your parents, your masters. But masters, you don't have a right just to be, you know, commanding and domineering and, and rude and, and hard-headed hard and heavy-handed and all those kind of metaphors. You, remember, you have a master in heaven. So you be careful how you manage your, your employees, your slaves. There is that aspect, that mindset of submission. I could be just all this uh, wild... Uh, uncontrolled rage, whatever, but we, we have self-control and we use that power, that energy to serve other people. So there's mutual submission all over here. Just to continue the thoughts, and I have some, or con con continue in this verse and then some concluding thoughts here. It says, be subject to your husbands, not to any other men, only, you know, generally speaking, Christians submit to other Christians, but in the context of a wife and a husband, it's that husband-wife, not my wife does not submit to to other people's husbands and, and, and vice versa. Other wives don't need to submit to me in, in a, as a husband. No, that's not what he's saying. You wives be subject to your own husband. In fact, that word own is, is used, I think, in Titus 2. I think it's in Titus 2 and verse 5, also in, in Ephesians 5.22, I think it's that, say, it has that word, that emphasis, that's your own husband, not other husbands, not other men in general. You serve, you submit to your own husband. It says to, um, to uh, affirm the idea that the husband provides and protects the wife. It says, as is fitting in the Lord. This word as is the only way that it helps us understand how does this look like? What does this look like? What are the characteristics about submitting? As is fitting in the Lord, he says as is appropriate to the Lord. He says in verse, um, in Ephesians 5 and verse 22, as to the Lord or uh, as in relation to, uh, well, in verse 23, it says, as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Whoa, in everything? Yes, in everything. Well, what does that look like? How do we do that? We'll, we'll look at that in just a moment. Does this word mean because we are, because it is fitting in the Lord, or does a wife submit because it is fitting? Does a, a wife submit because 
I am a, a slave of Christ, and therefore, because I'm a slave to Christ, I can then submit to my husband. Is this a uh, comparison in the same way or same degree that you submit to Christ? You should submit in that same degree to your husband. I think there's elements of these different things in that that verse. It's a it's a comparative. It's a it's a causation or because of this situation, it is a um, a result of our of a wife being submitted to Christ and being one who wants to please him in every respect, which ought to be characterizing everybody, right? Roman, or excuse me, Colossians 1 and verse 9 or 10, uh, striving to do what is pleasing to God, knowing God's will so that we can please him in every respect, bear fruit and increase knowledge of God and so forth. He says, as is fitting in the Lord. And this word is uh, so constructed that it, it talks about what is a an ought, uh, as, I mean, you could translate it this way, as she ought to do in the Lord, as an, it's an obligation. Is it something that is, uh, um, it is right, it, it, it matches the relationship that the wife has to Christ, and therefore that relationship then carries into the marriage as well. There is some measure of connection because I'm connected with Christ and I can relate to my husband in this way. It really reminds us of what God did back in Genesis 2 before the fall. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And that word, that way that he constructs it in in uh, in Hebrew and in Greek, it, it speaks about someone who is near to somebody else, somebody who's even right in front of that person, somebody who is, is how would you say it, um, a made-to-fit kind of relationship that that Eve was specially designed for Adam. Now, we can get maybe metaphysical about that, and, and we, we want to find just the right person, you know, the right fit for find, find the perfect husband or find the perfect wife. It's not going to happen. In fact, I, I worked on this. I don't know if this is worth repeating or not. Let me find where I wrote it down. Something about marriage. Aha. Marriage is marred not because of its flawed nature, but because of its flawed participants. It's not because mar marriage often fails, not because of its design or its nature, but because oh, it involves sinners. Ah. Same with the church. It'd be great if the church would prosper. It will prosper. God said, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. But man, it involves sinners. And we have our own, we don't always submit to the Lord. We don't always submit to one another. We don't always have humility of mind and think of other, of other people as more important than ourselves. It's right. It's fitting. It's our obligation to do it in that uh, context. But it is something that we have to strive toward, something we have to work toward and cultivate that mindset. If it were easy for women to do it, why does Paul give this command? Wives, be subject to your husbands. It's something that is they need to remember, and that is their ultimate priority in terms of the husband-wife relationship, to submit to them. Again, we'll look at some specific examples of what that could look like. But I think here, as is fitting in the Lord, it's what God designed the woman to do. It's fitting. She's a helper to the husband. It's a confirmation of the husband's headship or authority. There's a lot of controversy about headship. doesn't mean authority. just means source, uh, that the wife... The woman is made from the husband. First Corinthians 11, we'll talk about that. Uh, the husband or the man comes from the woman, the woman from man, etc. But we'll all come from God, and God says that this is how things are to be. So let's just submit to what God says. The interesting thing is after the fall, in Genesis 3 and verse 15, or 16, excuse me, part of the curse upon the woman is, your desire shall be for your husband, and he will rule over you. There is that element then of, Something's been, something happened, something broke, 
something is a result of the curse now because of of their disobedience and now uh, the husband or excuse me the wife's desire will be for your husband not not in a in a um, affection or or cultivating you know I, I just love that man kind of thing but the desire to rule over that person here he says god says he will rule over you it's in the context of that you can confirm that in genesis 3 or genesis 4 rather when god says to cain sin desires you sin has said its affection not affection but his its intent to rule over you but he says you must master it you must rule over that sin you've got to have victory over these things that's really the only place in the whole scripture where those two words really come into play, uh, desire and rule. And it's right there within a chapter of each other. And it shows Cain, uh, or excuse me, sin desired Cain and it wanted to master him, but Cain had to master that, that uh, sinful uh, um, desire that he had to, to have vengeance upon Abel. There are things that are fitting, they're proper, they're right to do. He says, this is fitting in the Lord. Really raises the bar. It's not just fitting in the first century Greco-Roman culture. It's not just what is fitting in the church, even though the church belongs to the Lord. It is fitting in the Lord. It is what is appropriate to him. It is always, in fact, some people would say, is this, uh, is it, is it saying this? Wives be subject to your husbands as is fitting for the Lord or the masters. Is this referring to the husband? Is the, is the husband the Lord or the master? Well, no. And in this, in this sense, each time Paul uses the word Lord in Colossians, it's referring to Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. But you have to remember, and I, I won't go to this text because it would, I don't have time to do it. First Peter chapter three speaks about this and he does comment on this. He uses the word submit, wives submit to your husbands. He also talks about Sarah obeyed her husband calling him Lord. I have to read back in Genesis 18, what was that context? She wasn't actually speaking to Abraham. She was speaking about Abraham. She was saying, shall my Lord have this pleasure of having a child? So the context there, but the point is that she called him Lord. Is that what Paul is saying here, that husbands and wives, or excuse me, the wife needs to refer to her husband as Lord? No, that's not what he's saying. As to the Lord Jesus, it raises the bar entirely. Your husband may be... uh, not competent, not skilled, not, 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 whatever, but he is your husband. And the order of creation is you honor, you respect, you fear him even. It's Ephesians 5 and verse 33 says that. But here we do this in the Lord or in accordance with the Lord or in the context of the Lord. Children are to obey their parents in the Lord, right? This is uh, always our, our perspective as a wife is what would please God? What would, what would, honor him what would bring glory to him it's even in the sense of i if 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 i know this is the path he wants me to go god the father christ the son holy spirit wants me to do this thing because again this is an implication of being filled with the spirit this is an implication of being saved by jesus christ that whatever he requires me to do i am empowered then to do it so i'm empowered by the lord i can submit as is fitting in the Lord, empowered by the Lord. It's for the Lord's sake. I do this. It's not for myself. I do it in the authority of the Lord. And I know that as I submit to my husband, I'm speaking as a wife, of course, I do it knowing that God's will is going to be accomplished, may be accomplished second or third down the line because my husband, he's going in the wrong direction, but I'm, I'm and speaking to him and, and trying to influence him. But ultimately, he's got to make the call. We'll look at some examples of that in just a moment. It's a rest, it's a waiting, it's a hoping, not so much in the husband, but to Christ, 
saying Christ is my sufficiency. Christ is my source. Christ is my authority. And he's over my husband. I pray for my husband to make the right decision. Sometimes he doesn't, but I'm going to go with him. I'm not going to uh, be a contentious woman. We can read about that in Proverbs. We'll look at some examples here in a moment. But we do it in the sphere of the Lord, we, in, the, in, the, in relationship or in context of the Lord, according to what's pleasing to him. In Proverbs, as I mentioned, there are examples of a godly woman. There are more examples of an ungodly woman. Uh, for example, a godly woman, a gracious woman, holds fast to glory, but, a ruthless men, but ruthless men hold fast to riches. A gracious woman, this is Proverbs 11, verse 16, holds fast to glory, holds fast to what, what is prudent and proper and right in her house, and she's gracious and she's not clutching things. She's holding fast to it, like Proverbs 31 would speak about. She does these things so she can be a blessing to other people. She provides food for herself and portions for her maidens. She's, she's providing for the needs of her household. Proverbs 14 and verse 1 says, The wise woman build her, builds her house, but the woman of folly tears it down with her own hands. What? The wise woman builds her house. Not just talking about, you know, get the two-by-fours and the, and the house wrap and the windows and all that. No, the household, the, the cultivating her relationship with her husband and with the children as God provides, and even grandchildren, great-grandchildren, as things may go along. It's not so much the physical dwelling, but this household. How is this wise woman building up her house? In the context of Titus chapter 2 and verse 5, older women are to instruct younger women to, I'm skipping some verses, some words rather, to be subject to their husbands, to be workers at home, and also loving their children. The context of a young woman's life is her home. And that's what this verse is saying, too. It's not to say that she can't work outside the home. That's something between the husband and wife to discuss and, and deliberate over. But the husband ought to be the primary breadwinner. First Timothy 5, 8, I think it is, it talks about the uh, if a man does not provide for his own household, he's worse than an infidel. So the husband needs to get out there and work, do something, do something gainful. If the wife does that also outside the home, that's, that's their dis discussion. But her context is the home. It's her husband. It's her children if God provides them. And this is uh, an amazing celebration. Uh, Proverbs 31 talks about the excellent wife. But it says, a question, an excellent wife who can find? Oh, who's going to find an excellent wife? Well, her worth is far above pearls. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He'll have no lack of gain. She deals bountifully with him and for good and not evil all the days of her life. The end of that celebration of the godly woman or the excellent wife is in verse 30 charm is deceitful and beauty is vain but a woman who fears Yahweh she should be praised as I mentioned there are more examples of an ungodly woman a rebellious woman it talks about the strange woman Proverbs 2 and verse 16 a strange woman the foreign woman who flatters with her words who forsakes the close companion of her youth who forgets the covenant of God but even more specifically in Proverbs 7 uh, Proverbs 7 talks about the strange woman who flatters with her words but it describes her, and this is not a submissive wife. This is a wife in the context of this thing. She is married, this lady that comes to this man who lacks sense. She is, verse 10 of Proverbs 7 says, she's dressed as a harlot. She's cunning of heart. She's always got a scheme, always got an angle she's working on. She is boisterous, which is to say she's noisy or rowdy. She is uh, tumultuous, just uh, out of, out of uh, self-control. She is rebellious. Her feet do not dwell at home. And then verse 12 and other things goes on and, and just talks about, whoa, she is not good news. She's trouble. Proverbs 9 and verse 13, the woman of foolishness is boisterous. Again, that same word, loud, noisy, rowdy. A woman of simplicity is, does not know anything. Watch out for that kind of lady. 
uh, or Proverbs 11, verse 22, a, as a ring of gold and a swine snout, so is a beautiful woman who turns away from discretion or who lacks discretion. What kind of lady is this? I mean, she's beautiful, but whoa, that's, that's not right. That is, that is like a ring of gold and a swine's snout, a pig's snout. That she may look beautiful on the outside, but as Proverbs 3, 1, 30 says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Beauty is vain. Don't go after that. Look for a woman who is, is, uh, has a, quiet and respectful demeanor, not boisterous, not loud or anything. Also, the contentious woman, it's better to live in a corner of a roof than a house shared with a contentious woman. That verse is in there twice. It's 21.9 and 25, chapter 25, verse 24. Other examples you could look at uh, with the uh, the husband and the wife or the wife, the godly wife there in, uh, in Proverbs. Let me give you some kind of summary ideas, what submission is and what it's not, by the way, and then some uh, some other things as well. Uh, submission means that we honor. A wife honors and respects the husband. To affirm that husband's headship, leadership, not to be a slave, not to be a uh, somebody to be ruled over, but to be a help meet. Remember that idea of a helper suitable, right in front of, not behind. You follow me. You get in line, woman. Uh, no, it is a it is an honor. It's a a, a tender kind of a relationship. And uh, the wife follows the initiative of her husband. Doesn't mean that he has to come up with all the ideas. Sometimes the best ideas are from the wife, and, and that's wonderful. Does he listen? Is he easily entreatable? Can he, does he listen to reason? Does he accept challenges? Uh, it's not allowing uh, a lot of people talk, talk about wives submitting to their husbands. Well, I'm just going to be a doormat. Is that what you're saying? I need to just uh, surrender and, and submit and allow him to rule over me? No. No, it's not about him so much. It's about you, your attitude, your mindset. How do you relate? How do you think of yourself? You're a servant. You are especially a servant to this man whom God has, has allowed you to uh, be a wife to. And you have a great context then to serve Christ by serving this man and then to serve the children that God gives to you. It means that you converse with him. In that context of 1 Peter 3, it talks about submitting, wives submit to your husbands, even if that husband is disobedient to the word. Wait a minute. If that, and it says that husband is not obedient, not submitting to God's word, but it says in that context, maybe you will win him by your behavior, by your demeanor. The point is there, there's a possibility or an expectation rather that the wife influences her husband in a good way, not condemning, not criticizing, you know, overly criticizing, um, scorning, belittling the person, but talking, talk doesn't mean, oh, he's an unbeliever, so I need to be an unbeliever too. I need to deny Christ. No, you are a slave of Christ and you serve this man who is an unbeliever. Not saying, by the way, that you should have missionary dating and, and go and, you know, he's really nice. He's really handsome and, and whatever, but he's not a Christian. Maybe I'll be able to influence him to be a Christian. Don't go into a marriage that way. If you find yourself in a marriage that somehow you as a wife have come to Christ and now this man is not a believer, First Peter 3. You, you maintain your godliness before Christ. You try, you pray for your husband. You want him to be a, a man whose heart is, is hard after God. But as for you, you live in such a way to please God. You don't deny Christ. Just because he says you can't go to church, what do you do in that situation? Do you go to church? Do you uh, disavow him? Do you say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to obey God rather than man. Got to work that out. Does it mean that a wife needs to submit to abuse, physical or verbal abuse? No. That's where, especially if the husband is a Christian, that's where the church comes in. If there's sin in that marriage where there is violence in any regard, the church needs to come in. If there's 
physical violence, you know, what we call domestic abuse, we need to bring the, the police in because this is wrong. This is a violation of human rights. Your, your work, the husband's work of, of violating her husband, or her, excuse me, husband's violation of his wife. Much more could be said about that. Uh, the idea that the wife submits as, submits to the husband as she submits to the Lord, never putting the will of her husband over the will of Christ. Christ is always the one that we strive to please. Regardless, husband, you please Christ. Wife, you please Christ. If your husband says you need to do something contrary to Christ, you you maintain your focus on Christ. The wife says, let's go do this and, and violate whatever. The husband says, no, we're going to follow after Christ. Or I'm going to do that. Joshua 24, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. This is a willing, voluntary thing. It's not ever, not something ever to be demanded by the husband. If you love me, you'll do this for me. That's often what we hear in terms of dating or courtship relationships, that the man says, well, if you love me, you'll submit. You need to submit to me. I say, let's do this. And you're not run away from a guy who would, would have that expectation of you, that you must submit. No, that's not how leadership, that's not how headship is, is managed. That's not how God does it. Now, God is a little bit different character, different class of, of being, of course, than a husband. But that's not leadership. That is domination. That is um, being self-willed, which elders are not supposed to be, right? First uh, Timothy 3, not self-willed, not pugnacious. Titus 1 also speaks about that. It is um, ultimately dependent upon the Lord, not dependent upon the husband for everything. Just because you're the wife of that man doesn't mean that somehow you need to get everything in your life from him. Yes, he needs to nourish you and, and cherish you. Yes, he needs to wash you with the water of the word. But don't expect him to be your spiritual fountain. Look to Christ. Find your sufficiency in him. And then as you are filled with Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, then you can serve and meet needs of other people. First Peter 3 and verse 6 says, women don't need to live in fear. They can act confidently. Even if the husband has been a nasty fool, trust the Lord. Trust him. Realize that his will and his purposes will prevail, even in the face of, of uh, evil and disobedience and so forth. Sometimes it's the example. I won't go into that. Abraham and Sarah with Hagar and that whole issue and how that came to be. Remember that you're a slave of Christ. You're not a slave to your husband. Remember that this is in everything. Ephesians 5.24 says, wives ought to submit to their husbands in everything. It's not limited to certain areas of life. I'll submit this area of my life and that area, but this thing's out of, out of, out of his control. I'm my own person in this regard. Could be a career, could be a hobby, could be a whatever. Everything you bring in uh, and submission or an alignment and honoring your husband means you keep confidence. If your husband confides in you with certain things, don't go tailbearing that. Don't just go and gossip. You know, my husband said this. And, and no, you are a confidential confidant. Could I say it another way? You keep a confidence of your husband. And you don't, unless there's an understanding that you can share that news, uh, keep that confidence with your husband. There is this aspect of humility. You're focused less on yourself, more on your husband and others. And, and not arrogant, not proud, not focused on yourself. You are characterized by encouragement and gratitude toward your husband, not, as the Proverbs say, contending or arguing or belittling your husband. I'll conclude with this. My time is gone and spent, but I will give some implications for single women who desire marriage. Now, there are some single men or single women who don't desire marriage, and that's fine. Matthew 19 talks about those who are single or celibate for the kingdom of God. Great, if that's your thing. The point, though, is most people do get married. 
now in the present culture and so forth, but historically, most people do enter into some kind of a relationship with other people. God's design is one man, one woman for life, covenantal companionship. What can you do as a single woman who desires marriage to prepare for this verse, to be subject to your husbands? Here's some ideas. Most of them have a scriptural basis. Some are implications of it. So you can weigh them and judge them according to your idea. But again, I'll just list them here. You need to cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit. Submission is internal. Cultivate that. You have opportunity right now to cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit. Humbly serve others. It's not about you. Your life is not your own. You are single for a purpose. You can, you can serve others. Guard your heart. Be careful to whom you uh, open your heart to. This you know, just be be patient, be, be cautious about these things. Because when the heart is open, the emotions, the the attachment, I mean, it's beautiful. Marriage is a beautiful thing. Knitting hearts together, even in a church relationship. Knitting hearts together. Philippians 2 talks about that. The fellowship of the Spirit and so forth. We want that to happen, but be on your guard until that marriage has occurred. Guard your heart. Protect your purity before the Lord. Pray for the man who would be your husband. Most likely, that guy's walking around the world somewhere. Maybe you haven't met him yet. Maybe you have. But pray for him. Know that you're loved. Don't try to find, and this is, uh, oh, I don't remember the verse. Uh, it's in the end of Proverbs 30 or 31, probably 30. It talks about there are just things, three or four things that, that cause earthquakes around the world. And one of them, one of them, one of them is an unloved woman who marries. Don't try to find your identity, your purpose, your meaning, your whatever in that other person. Realize, I'm going to find somebody that loves me. You already have that. It's God. Can you draw near to him? God the Father. God is a gracious, beautiful husband. Do you realize that word Beulah? I had an aunt Beulah. But Beulah in Hebrew means marriage. Talk about Beulah land, Beulah. Talk about marriage. Marriage is what this is about. God pictures this relationship with Israel as a marriage. Of course, Ephesians 5 says the relationship with Christ in the church is marriage. Draw near to Christ. Find your sufficiency in him. Don't try to find a husband just so you can be loved and, and, and treated like a woman. You are, you are accepted by God. What can you do to prepare to be married? Well, prepare to be married. Learn some of those things. Do you, Like Titus 2 and verse 5 says, um, what does it mean to, to love a husband? Well, talk to some other people. Look at your parents' marriage, or maybe not look at your parents' marriage, whatever that is. But you can look at other people whose marriages are somewhat exemplary, somewhat uh, helpful in, in teaching what is good and right. You can learn some of those household skills. How do you change a diaper? How do you nurse? How do you raise up a How do you teach them to use the bathroom or to use the toilet? How do you, what are some tip, tics, tip, tips and techniques to do these things? How do you cook a roast? How do you cut up a chicken? Some of those household kind of skills. Prepare to be married. Ask for help from other people that you know and respect and who love you. Ask for help in terms of, uh, am I cultivating a gentle and quiet spirit? When you think of me, and this is you as a young one, when you think of me, do you think of me as a rowdy, boisterous person or one who is self-controlled and tender and humble? And, and how can I change? How can be a, I be a better person myself if and when God provides a, a good, good, godly husband to me? When you're in the process of courtship, courtship is courting the idea or the possibility of marriage. It's not marriage. You're not submitting to this man yet. You're learning and considering, do I want to be in a relationship with this guy, this character, this, this fool? Can be sometimes. This guy's a fool. He is a, ba a baby in a man's body kind of a thing. Courtship is courting the idea of marriage. Ask hard questions. You don't get 
in so many respects, premarital counseling is almost a throwaway kind of thing. You want to do premarital counseling before you're even engaged. And you think, well, that's kind of awkward, isn't it? If, if you're close enough or, or lo- far along, far enough along in this relationship with another guy that, that it seems like we're going someplace together, where our paths are merging, you need to ask some serious hard questions about this guy. You need to ask hard questions of yourself. You need to evaluate and you need to bring other people into this conversation for their perspective on these things. How does this man honor you? Because that's how husbands are supposed to cherish and nurture their wives. How does he relate to his parents and siblings? How does he relate to authority or submit to authority? How does he practice humility? Does he ask you for your advice? Does he demand your obedience? What does he do when you disagree with him or otherwise challenge him? How does he relate to these things? And many other questions you can think about this. Ultimately, though, what does a young woman do? Submit to the Lord, wait upon him, be the best kind of person you can be before the Lord. The Lord brings a husband, fantastic. Of course, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 7, better for you all not to marry because if you're married, you have the burdens of caring for your husband or caring for your wife. It's better to be unbound in that regard because of the present distress. Marriage is a good thing. Hardly encourage it. Uh, It is a sanctifying influence. It is something that teaches us, casts us more upon Christ, and allows us to be a witness of Christ's relationship with the church in our marriages. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you are faithful. You are life-changing. You are the one who gives us good words, not just pie in the sky or, or just weird teachings that relate to whatever, but practical things, how we can relate to one another, how we can have uh, the Spirit of God indwelling us and filling our words, our attitudes, our relationships, our affections. We pray that we would, each of us, be submissive to your word, that we would fulfill it and accomplish what you want us to do. Pray speci- specifically for wives and future wives that they would submit to you, they would rest in you, They would be confident in your authority, your care, your love, your ability to change hearts and minds. We're grateful for the word, even in 1 Peter 3, that the husband, the unbelieving husband, may be won to you by the behavior of the wife. And so we pray that you would save and sanctify each one. Please save our children. Please allow them to be the type of godly husbands and wives and parents that you want, that would bring honor to you. We're so grateful that your word is not Uh, unbearable or a burden to us. It is life. It is joy. And it avoids or alleviates so much potential heartache and, and difficulty when we do things your way. Please help us to do it. Help us to submit to your wisdom and your leadership, your holiness, your righteousness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.